0: This week's episode of Secondhand Stories features creepy, eerie and unsettling stories. If you do not enjoy horror then this would be a moment to stop this video. Do not proceed further. This particular video also contains visuals which may be scary and unsettling. So if you do not enjoy those. Do not proceed further. This is your last warning. However, if you do enjoy horror, then walk right in. Creepy things await. Our next story takes place in the year 1977. Here's what happened in that year. In the year 1977, there was a lady called Teresita Basa. She worked as a respiratory therapist at a hospital in Chicago. In 1977, the police were called to her apartment and they found that she had been brutally murdered in her apartment. She was a 48-year-old woman, she was from the Philippines originally, but she had moved the united states and she had been living there and working there without incident until now as the police went through her apartment as they searched for clues they found very little here's what they knew they knew that whoever had murdered her was probably known to her because there were no signs of forced entry the second thing they knew was that her jewelry had been stolen and so they probably had some kind of motive the third and most enigmatic clue was this in her diary she had mentioned a person but she had only mentioned this person using their initials and the initials were a s as the police start looking into this murder they found that they had very little to go on and time passed without them making any kind of headway but six months later when the case was growing colder and colder, suddenly a tip came in that reignited this case. But that tip came from a very, very bizarre source. Here's what happened A few weeks after Teresita Basa had been murdered, a colleague of hers, another respiratory therapist called Remy Chua, She was at the hospital and she was in the locker room. She had a little bit of a break and in this break, in the locker room, feeling very tired, she decided to take a nap. She fell asleep but she would soon wake up because she felt a presence around her. When she opened her eyes, she saw Teresita Basa standing in front of her. It freaked her out so much that she screamed and she ran out of the locker room and she told all her co-workers what she had witnessed. Now, it was an extremely unsettling moment, an unsettling experience, but it was just the beginning. Things were going to get even order for Remy Chua. Remy Chua started having dreams and in these dreams she would see Teresita Passa. But Teresita Basa would not be alone. Lurking behind her, she would see a male face. She kept having these recurring dreams, kept seeing Teresita Basa and this figure, this male figure that would be lurking behind her. And then something even more chilling happened. She was at the hospital one day and suddenly her blood froze. Because standing in front of her, was the exact man that she had been seeing in her dreams. This person was a man who worked at the hospital. He was a technician at the hospital. And his name was Alan Shaori. A.S. She did a little bit of digging and she found out that Alan Shaori had been acquainted with Teresita Pasa. And she felt very confident deep inside her. With just intuition that Alan Shauri had something to do with the death of Teresita Basa. However, the way that she had had this feeling, it was so bizarre, so strange that she felt like she couldn't go to the police with this tip. It would be extremely, extremely odd. So she decided to wait. And as she waited, things got even stranger for Remichua. Now, Remy Chua was married to a surgeon. He was a surgeon called Dr. Jose Chua. And Jose Chua got extremely alarmed when he started seeing his wife Remy suddenly go into these trances. And in this trance, she would begin speaking. But the voice that came out wasn't of Remy Chua. It sounded like a completely different person. And he would soon find out that she was speaking with the voice of Teresita Basa. Because at one particular moment when she was possessed, she said these words. She said, Doctor, I need your help. The man who killed me is still at large. As she starts speaking, she reveals several things. She says that she was killed by Alan Shauri, He had come to her house to repair her television. And after that he had stabbed her robbed her of her jewels and then given some of her jewelry to his girlfriend she said that she had some names of people who could verify the jewelry if it was ever found and she even provided a phone number dr jose Chua too was extremely skeptical as a person who was a doctor a man of medicine and science He didn't know what to make of these strange occurrences. But eventually, after so many of these instances, he realized that he probably had to do something about it. And so it was Dr. Jose Chua who went to the Chicago police. And he said that he had a tip. And it came from a very, very strange source. Dr. Jose Chua would eventually reveal to the Chicago police all the things that had happened to his wife. And as he reveals this information, some of it strikes the police as extremely odd because it lines up with the things that they had found at the crime scene. Now, when the police went and questioned Alan Shauri, he did admit to the fact that he had agreed to help Teresita Bassa repair her television. But he said he had never been to her apartment. Soon after that, the police questioned his girlfriend, and his girlfriend said that, yes. He had given her some jewellery recently. He had given her a ring. Then the police looked into the names that Remy Chua had provided and they called the number. The number led to a cousin of Teresita Basa and this cousin, upon seeing the ring, immediately identified it as belonging to her cousin Teresita. The police did admit that Although the tip came from this extremely strange place, whatever happened after that was extremely methodical and it was done by the book and a strong case was created against Alan Shauri. The evidence did indeed point toward him. So he was arrested and the case went to trial. Now, of course, as soon as it went to trial, the media latched onto it and blew it out of proportion. Because it was such a unique and bizarre case. It was a case where the victim had spoken from the afterlife and pointed at the killer. It was as if the victim had solved their own murder. The case goes to trial, but the jury could not come to a decision. It was so bizarre that, of course, there was a lot of room for doubt. And so it was decided that the case would be retried. Now, at the first trial, Alan Shaori had maintained his innocence. But right before the case went to the second trial, Alan Shaori changed his plea. Suddenly, he said that he was guilty, that he had indeed killed Teresita Pasa. And he had done it so that he could rob her, so that he could steal her jewelry. When he pleaded guilty, he was eventually sentenced to a total of 22 years. Now, this is not the first case of a victim who was murdered coming back from the dead to point the finger at their murderer. But in the long history of such cases, this was truly one of the most bizarre Our next story takes place on a treacherous mountain road at night. On this particular mountain road, there is a truck. In this truck, there are two people. One is the older driver. He's called the Ustad. And with him in the cabin is his helper. He's a 19-year-old boy. And the helper is usually called the Khalasi. Now, the two men are on this mountain road. They wouldn't have liked be on this mountain road at night because they know that this mountain road has no loyalty it can change at every turn it can deceive you on every bend but in this particular instance they had to get their goods across to their destination on time and they were running out of time they had to get there by the next morning and it was unavoidable that they take this mountain road Now to prepare for this, the driver had had two cups of tea and he had splashed cold water on his face and then he had gotten behind the wheel. He couldn't trust his helper in this tricky mountain road. The helper himself was completely wide awake. He was peering out through the windshield into this black night. Now, as they're driving, the Ustad is driving very, very carefully, very, very slowly. He's making his way extremely cautiously on this mountain road. They've been on it for 20 minutes. Now, in these 20 minutes, they haven't seen a single car or a truck or a vehicle in front of them or behind them. It's just them on this long and lonely stretch of road. The Ustad looks out of the window and he sees that the mountain is turning to the right and far in the distance he can see that there is the patch of a road that continues around the mountain and far in the distance he can see small lights. He can see that there are trucks that are trundling along but they are far far ahead of them. He turns back to the road and keeps driving. As they are driving It's pitch black all around them. The road is lit only by their headlights. It's dark in their cabin. They can only hear the roar of the engine of their truck as it pushes and exerts itself on this mountain road. Beneath them, they can hear the gurgling of a river as it rushes past. But, try as they might, they can't see it. The Khalasi is extremely happy that he is on the mountain side of the truck because as much as he has crisscrossed the country in the truck, he's still extremely scared of being on the side that faces the drop. Somehow, his stomach still turns every single time he sees the wheels being so close to the edge of the mountain. On the stretch that they are on, there isn't even a railing not that a railing would have stopped their bulky vehicle now on this road they round this one particular bend they round the bend and a few moments later something extremely strange happens suddenly the ustad notices that there are two headlights that he can see in the side mirror he looks at it and he's confused because all this while There hasn't been a single car or vehicle behind them. Suddenly as they've rounded this bend, something has appeared behind him. As he looks in the side mirror, he sees that the headlights belong to another truck. It puzzles him even more, where did this truck appear from? But before he can think too much about it, suddenly the truck behind him lets out this loud shrill honk it's a horn that is so shrill and so loud that the khalasi and the ustad both shut their eyes out of the sheer horribleness and sheer volume of this horn they see that this truck that's appeared behind them suddenly is speeding up it's picking up speed trying to overtake them the ustad turns his truck to the right trying to block this truck that suddenly appeared behind him and the truck lets out another horn. This horn is again just same awful loud piercing sound. Again the Ustad is physically hurt by this noise. The truck behind him again lets out this horn and finally angry and frustrated the Ustad puts out his hand and waves the truck ahead. Now this truck picks up speed. Now, as the truck starts surrounding them, the khalasi and the ustad both peer into the cabin of this truck to see who's overtaking them. The cabin is dark. They can't see who's driving it. The truck, too, seems to pass them almost soundlessly. The truck gets ahead of their truck. And now, in the glare of the headlights, they can see it more clearly. The headlights of their truck shine onto the truck in front of them and they see that it's loaded with goods. The goods are bulging out of the carrier and it's been tucked away with this grey tarp. The truck looked to be of a very old model and what was extremely distinctive about it was that there were these heavy chains that hung at the back of this truck. As this truck rumbled ahead of them, the chains would shake and dangle and rattle and the sound kept coming to the khalasi and the ustad. Now, what was odd about this truck was this. As the truck had rounded them, it had seemed to be very very impatient. But now that it had come ahead of them, suddenly it slowed down. It came to a very slow crawl and The ustad was frustrated. He couldn't understand why this was happening. He couldn't believe that this truck, which had been so angry and impatient, had suddenly become so slow. He honked his horn. He tried to cut around the truck. But every time he would do it, the truck would pick up pace and would block him. It would just come right in front of his truck. Every time he tried to overtake it, this truck would just slide into the space that he was trying to move into. Now as this keeps happening, the ustad gets more and more frustrated, he gets angrier and angrier. Soon he's yelling obscenities, he's yelling at his windshield. Now as they're going along this road, suddenly the truck in front of them breaks. It comes to a near stop. And as it does, the chains of it move up and come shuddering back onto its back, making this horrible rattling sound. Now, as the truck in front of them breaks and comes to a stop, the Ustad slams his own brakes. But he knows that it's too late because the truck is moving at too much of a speed and it's too bulky. It's too heavy. It won't stop. The momentum of it is going to carry it forward. The Ustad and the Khalasi both shut their eyes, bracing for impact. But it's an impact that doesn't come. They open their eyes and they see that there's nothing in front of them. They're both confused. And then within a second, they hear a sound. It's a low rumble and it gets louder and louder. And suddenly, with a frightening crash, rocks come tumbling down from the mountaintop. It slides right past them. As they see this, they both leap out of the truck and run backwards. They see that a landslide has happened and it's taken half the mountain off it. Now soon, as quickly as it had started, the rocks come to a stop. They hear these big boulders tumbling into the river below. Now as they take a breath, they realize that this landslide has happened inches from where that truck has stopped. that truck was completely untouched. It's at this moment that they both remember the truck that was in front of them. The khalasi quickly goes to the truck, he pulls out a flashlight, they shine it all around them, they can see the debris of the landslide, they shine it into the valley below and they can see nothing. They were expecting a mangled carcass of a truck, but they saw only vegetation. It would be later, as they recounted this ordeal to their rescuers, that they would find out what happened to them on that particular night. The locals told them that on certain nights, some drivers had seen a phantom truck. It appeared to them moments before a terrible accident was about to occur. Some drivers said that they heard the shrieking horn just at the moment that they were about to fall asleep at the wheel. Others saw it when they were driving too fast along the mountain road. The Ustaz and the Khalasi had seen it moments before the landslide. They didn't know where the truck came from, but there were certain things that everyone agreed on. They all said that the truck seemed to be an older model no one had seen the driver the cabin was always filled with darkness they all agreed that at the back of the truck hung heavy dangling chains and they all said that the truck had protected them that they wouldn't be alive today had it not been for that truck and the truck would protect you. But only if you let it pass. This is the last episode of Season 2 of Secondhand Stories. Secondhand Stories will be back in February or March of 2024. However, if you are a member of the channel, don't worry, new stories will come to you pretty frequently. Now, I just want to just quickly thank a few people before uh, wrapping the whole season up. And um, the people that I would like to thank are these. Uh, Firstly, I have to thank our editor, Swarab Verma who has been editing these videos and uh, he does a fantastic job week on week editing these extremely long videos and putting them together in a wonderful way. Secondly, I have to thank my wife Siddhi who makes the thumbnails and she does a fantastic job. This is completely unpaid so uh, thanks is the least that I could do. I would also like to thank the members of the channel who make this all possible by showing up for these live recordings. Uh, It's truly a joy and I don't think these stories would be as fun to do if it weren't for you guys and lastly must thank the viewers you guys for watching these videos for engaging with them for leaving comments comments that are truly helpful in the best possible way we have a wonderful community that I cannot be more thankful for as a storyteller to have people come together for stories is truly special that's about it second stories will be back soon but until then there will be newer and different content on the channel a lot of it story driven so if you enjoy that stuff do keep coming back if you'd like to become a member of the channel you could still do it because members will be getting stories specifically for them which will not be put up anywhere else Uh, and this will be done i'd like to say weekly but if not it'll be done every once in two weeks so That's about it. Thank you so much for watching this season of Secondhand Stories. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.